Does it make sense to eliminate college entrance exams from the college admissions process? Do the SAT and ACT tests hinder equity in post-secondary education? Those are our topics today on the Educational Policy Institute Swale Letter. I'm Watson Scott Swale. Three weeks ago, I wrote a swale letter called College Admissions, Selectivity, and Grit. The article focused on how many of our colleges and universities were selective enough to make the admissions process majorly complex. My conclusion was that there were a lot more moderately selective institutions than I had thought. Thus, the admissions game is complex and difficult for hundreds and arguably thousands of institutions in the United States. Less than a week later after posting that article, the University of Chicago, an uber-selective institution, announced that it would not use the SAT in their admissions process. Typically, this comes with some misguided fanfare by those who fight for equity in the college-going arena. With this announcement, I feel that it is worthy of a brief discussion of what makes equity and the role of college admissions and other related tests. My conclusion at the start of today's article is simple. Getting rid of the SAT does little or nothing positive for the equity agenda in post-secondary education. Especially by the very selective institutions, such as UChicago, which has an entering class with an average SAT composite of 1540 out of 1600. That places it in the top handful of institutions in the United States and perhaps the world. According to collegesimply.com, the University of Chicago requires candidates to be in the top 1% of SAT test takers. Here's what their numbers look like. For entering students at the University of Chicago, the SAT range is 1490 to 1600. The 25th reading percentile score is 730 and the 75th is 800. The 25th percentile of math SAT is 760. Uh, and their 75th percentile is 800. What this means for University of Chicago is pretty simple. All of their students are at the top of the SAT and academic spectrum. And because of this, the SAT fails to add much to the formula. For example, if you had a college readiness indicator from 1 through 10, what help would it be if all your prospects were 10s? None at all because it doesn't vary your group in any way. The idea of a test is to spread people out, so there are differences. Tests are generally not designed so that everyone gets an A on them. That would be more like a competency-based test where you need to ensure that everyone gets all the information. But on a test like the SAT or another nationally normed instrument, the purpose is to discriminate people by what they know and understand. The fact that most of the applicants at University of Chicago are in the top 1% of the SAT shows that the test, at this level, does not discriminate in a way to help the institution's admissions process. Why? Because the pond is very large for a relatively small fish. Put another way, the University of Chicago, just like other top echelon schools, attract the greatest academic talents from around the world for a very small number of spots. Thus. They are creaming their possibilities by the sheer nature of supply and demand. It is important to know that the SAT was created back in the early 1900s as an instrument of equity. 
Even though Harvard was the first colonial college back in 1736, colleges were still in relative infancy in the late 19th century and were, by nature, selected by the fact that mostly wealthier connected youth went to college. The others were working fields or in factories. Keep in mind that, back in this time period, only half of white and one-third of black youth went to any proper school. Although we do not have college-going data back that far, even as recent as 1940, only 10% of the population went to college, and half of those attended technical schools as opposed to universities. Heck, for what it's worth, back in 1900, there were a total of 997 post-secondary institutions of any type. Today, there are 3,781 two-year, less than two-year, and four-year public and private non-for-profit institutions. Add in the proprietary sector and the number jumps to 6,502. Visit our epigraph of June 7, 2018 for more details. The SAT, though, was created in 1926 by the College Entrance Examination Board, still the legal name of what we know today as the College Board. The test was to measure academic prowess and provide some equity to work against legacy interests in higher education. Because so few students were going to higher education, most came from affluent families and those who had gone to college before. The members of the College Entrance Examination Board, including Harvard, Penn, NYU, Bryn Mawr, and eight other exclusive institutions wanted to open the doors to other deserving students who did not have the connections or legacy to warrant admission. Interesting, in retrospect, that the SAT and ACT tests are looked at as dividers of equity given their origin. Understanding the academic quality of the freshman class, and thus every other class, at the University of Chicago, and also knowing that only 1 in 12 applicants is admitted to the institution, the SAT isn't very useful for the selection process. For other institutions, college entrance exams remain an important piece of the admissions formula. Most people are told that the number one indicator of college success is the high school grade point average, and many believe, or are told, that the SAT and ACT are not very good predictors of college success. As I told a group of admissions professionals at the EMAS Pro conference last week, if I were to use only one variable to predict college success, it would simply be family income because wealth is the ultimate determinant in this country of level of education and preparation for college. Income as an admissions variable doesn't provide anything remotely close to an equity or diversity outcome, but it would generate me the best academic class that I could muster. There are other important predictive criteria, though, such as previous academic prowess. High school GPA, class rank, SAT, ACT scores, and class rigor are a few of the choice variables that admissions personnel tend to use to build their applicant pool. Well, there is one other important variable, ability to pay. And yes, the admissions letter and other soft pieces are important but they only matter if you make it over the first or second hurdles. Trust me, 10,000 applicant letters do not get read at a single university in the summer. Only those that make the first or second cut do. In 2016, the College Board conducted a predictive validity analysis of the revised SAT versus other variables. 
As the table shows, the SAT evidence-based reading and writing section has the highest correlation with first-year GPA of 0.51. High school GPA has a correlation of 0.48. Thus, the SAT has a slightly higher predictive value of the first-year GPA than the high school GPA. This is interesting because that is not what people say or think. What we do know is this. Combining a number of these variables improves the overall predictive validity. Using the SAT writing plus the SAT math plus the high school GPA improves the correlation to 0.58. Using the R squared value, this still only answers less than a third of the variance. In other words, two-thirds or other variables not apparent here predict a student's first-year GPA. By the way, these predictors basically only predict the first-year GPA. After the first year, there's not a variable that statistically explains success per graduation. What, then, is the purpose of the University of Chicago announcing their non-use of the SAT? They're not alone, of course. Other major selective schools, including Bates, Bowdoin, Bryn Mawr, which was one of the institutions that helped create the SAT, no less, my alma mater, the George Washington University, Sarah Lawrence, Wesleyan, and UT Austin are some of those who do not require the SAT or ACT. But the answer to this question is twofold. First, because as stated, the applicants to these institutions are of the highest level to begin with, and given the high correlation between the SAT and high school GPA, the SAT does not give them enough additional information to be helpful in the admissions process. And second, there is a major PR bump from going against the flow and saying you do not require the SAT. It is a tip of the hat to the equity agenda, even though eliminating the SAT does virtually nothing to support equity. Institutions, especially private institutions, can do almost anything they want in the admissions process, with some exception for race-based admissions policies. They can give more points for athletes, more points for legacy students, and they also play a game with the ability to pay criteria via tuition discounting. The more money they can get from a student and or parent without tuition discounts is a better student to many institutions. It isn't how we necessarily want to see things, but it is kind of how the way they are. So that's our Sway letter for today. I hope this analysis and discussion is of interest to you. We are always interested in your thoughts, so visit theswaleletter.com and post your viewpoint. As always, please share the Swale Letter and our podcast with your colleagues. I'm Watson Scott Swale for the Educational Policy Institute.